0: Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnush Tarabi. This is Sunday, August 16th, and we are celebrating our last day out east here on Long Island, me, Evan, and Tim. And I was considering doing a rerun on the weekend, but I decided to just keep it fresh stick with the program and not come back to work with a deluge of questions because that would mean a lot of catch up. And I think that would also frustrate all the great listeners who've written in and asked some great questions. And here back for an encore is husband, Tim, who I'm going to say this because you should know, we recorded Ask Farnoosh already for Sunday and then we lost it And it's 11:38 p.m. and my husband was ready to like just crack open a beer and call it a night. But I said, "Oh my gosh, we lost the episode. What am I gonna do?" And so he's back, and we are doing these questions again for a second time. But we're gonna try to pretend like it's the first, right? That's right. Okay. And so for those of you who haven't heard yesterday's episode, when I did a better introduction of Tim, let's do a little another mini introduction of Tim. Tim Dusinger, He is a married white male, uh, 6'2", 37 almost years old. I know. Okay, 36, 37 in December, thirty six, And we met at Penn State. We met at Penn State. We had a class together. I had a super big crush on you. You didn't know I existed. And then we life went on. And I think it was 2006, we reconnected on AOL Instant Messenger because that's how things were done back then. That, that I don't even think there was a Facebook.
1: No, no, there was no Tinder either,
0: yeah, how about that? You know, I have the uh, CEO of Hinge coming on the show later this month, which is a competitor to Tinder. I only know this because my brother, who's twenty four years old, um, is a connoisseur of the online <laughs> <laughs> online dating apps, and there was an article recently about just like how these online dating apps are really Destroying the art of dating. You have so many options, so you are never going to settle. You just constantly never going to settle, so it doesn't really materialize into meaningful relationships. But the CEO of Hinge debunks that that theory, and he has obviously uh, some positive things to say about you know the whole platform and how to meet people online. But I digress. Let's get to uh, this weekend's questions and we pretend like we haven't already answered them and lost the recording, shall we, Tim?
1: All right, let's start off with the first question from Michael. Uh, Michael writes, Farnoosh, back in 2007, I inherited several rare coins and a bunch of silver. I'm looking to cash in these coins and silver to help pay down debt and save for certain life events, such as a wedding. Congratulations, Michael. How do I go about getting rid of the coins and silver? I know a few of them are rare, and I know a few rare coin places near me in Philly, However, I'm not sure how to trust them. Please advise. Thanks.
0: Well, first off, love Philadelphia because Tim and I got married there. We got married at the – oh, where was it? Trust. I don't remember. It was only three years ago. I'm sorry. That was lame. We got married at the Betsy Ross house in the common uh, front yard there. And then we went over to this old bank called Trust where we had the reception. It was really – cute and beautiful. I love Philadelphia. Hope you have the wedding of your dreams and hope this silver and rare coins will afford you that. I would say first, do some homework and research the current market price for silver and whatever the metals are of your other coins. You can go to a site like Kitcoin, K-I-T coin, Coin, which gives you the spot price of precious metals, gold, silver, etc. So do your own homework, figure out what the current going rate for, say, silver is, and then based on the weight of that silver, do the math. Then when you go into these different venues that are going to be buying your silver, or buying your coins, you want to ask them how they value it, how they make money, what's their commission. And when they're weighing the coins, watch them. Don't have them go into the back room and do it and come and tell you what they think it is. And if you have a running number in your head and you've done some comparison shopping you'll start to be able to weed out those who are just really really lowballing you kind of also trust your gut if they're giving you a price that's really high you might want to question you know like wh- how they're doing their calculation and
1: uh, the next question is from joe joe writes in "Hey farnoosh i appreciate your honesty with the viewers and valuing our feedback i just heard your announcements to switch over to a five-day format and based on how i listen to the show it's a great idea I listened to the weekend episode on Monday, so it would not hurt my viewership. I think it's best to do what works for you and your family.
0: Well, thanks, Joe. This is going to help me and my family. Tim is nodding agreeingly because I think he and he hasn't told me this, but I have a feeling that he thinks I'm work overloaded. And even a few times during this vacation when I've answered emails and taken some calls, I could sense uh, some disappointment. Maybe I'm reading into things.
1: You're reading into things.
0: hmm Well... I'm really happy to know that this is not gonna change your viewership and loyalty. And I have heard from others too that Monday is when they do catch up. So, and I do see a spike on Mondays as far as downloads. So I know Mondays are where it's at. And so that's why a lot of times I release some really hot interviews on Mondays. I know people are gonna be tuning in to see what's going on on So Money. And I really appreciate the fact that you took the time to write in to tell me this because I really value your opinion and everyone who listens to the show. Because this show really was created... For the listener, of course, I had some ideas going in and what I thought would be uh, good ideas, but uh, really, this is a work in progress. This show, and the more that you give me feedback, the the better it will get. So I really appreciate that, Joe.
1: We'll move on to Amanda, and she has three questions for you today. Three. Three. The first one is about retirement. And specifically, she writes in When I first started working after college, I was making $28,000 a year. I decided to contribute 10% to my company's retirement plan, with 5% of that in a 401k and 5% of my salary in a 401 Roth. Well, now it's 2015, I'm making $85,000 a year. Should I be doing all my contributions pre-tax now based on my salary? Or how do you generally make the decision to do pre-tax or post-tax contributions? P.S. I do max my personal Roth IRA each year as well.
0: To put it simply, I think the best way to figure out whether or not you should continue to do a post-tax move as in investing in a Roth IRA or 401 Roth is to do it until you can cuz it's a great vehicle to save. So until you until they say to you you can't do this anymore well, that's when you stop doing it. And I know even then, if you have any you know existing accounts that you can roll into a Roth IRA, that might be something you might want to do because it's just too good to pass up. So until you can, do it, sister, because it's a really good vehicle. And I hear now you have two more questions. So I don't want to spend too much time on that answer. But here we go. Here's question number two. Tim, take it away.
1: Question number two from Amanda is... Hey, Farnoosh, I've really been enjoying listening to your podcast since I discovered it last week. About a year ago, I was listening to Dave Ramsey since I do love personal finance. But I have no debt myself and was tired of hearing about all the stories of paying off debt. I couldn't find someone else at the time, but this is the podcast for me. Smiley face. I'd love to leave a review, but gasp. I don't have any Apple products or use iTunes. I'm using Pocket Cast on Android. How can Android users leave reviews?
0: Well, I've never heard of Pocket Cast, and uh, I'm sure it's wonderful. And I am sorry that, you know, I've been so insistent on iTunes reviews, but it is where a lot of people and most people listen to the show and all shows. But not to shut out people who want to leave reviews on other channels. You can totally do that. And if you're an Android user, the show is available on Stitcher. So you can download Stitcher and leave a review there. And actually someone yesterday, funny enough, asked a similar question. Like, I'm an Android user. What, how do I leave a review? So I have said, I said this yesterday, that if you leave a review on Stitcher, I will consider that as well for the 15-minute money sessions with me and in fact next saturday i will specifically pick somebody from stitcher so that applies to android users as well as iphone users you can download stitcher on any device uh, but particularly beneficial for stitcher for android users that cannot get access to say the ipod app or itunes so do that and hopefully we'll connect you have a third question here which is
1: uh this is amanda's third question i am listening to episode 126 And you talk about how in your 20s, it's the best time for risk-taking and the best time for making financial mistakes and even trying to start your own business, etc. I'm 26 and I have my ducks in a row and I don't think I've made a major financial mistake yet, or so I think. (laughs) I also have a decent amount of cash saved up and I really love the idea of starting my own business. However, I Don't have any idea of my own. Where should I start looking for the right side project or the right business plan for me? My strengths are in execution. I'm not really a visionary.
0: Well, you know, I would say get visionary. Start thinking about, visualize where you want to be in the next three years what you want to be practicing. You know, sometimes it helps to ask people that you love and trust, what do you think I'd be good at? What you know, think about what your friends come to you for advice. There's doing what you what you do to make money, which is maybe what you learned in school or what you've picked up on the job. And that's what you do to make money. And there's what you know. And a lot of times what we know goes untapped, unleveraged. And so my suggestion to you is to figure out what you know that you're good at teaching, that you're good at sharing and hone in on that. And if you don't have something like that yet, do some exploration. Take the next year or two to really self-explore, you know, Um, travel, meet people, try new things and really tap into that inner those inner qualities that you have that perhaps haven't yet been uh, self-discovered. And, and, and more importantly, that you want to discover something that you not only like to do, but that there's a market for, right? So you might like, you know, um, surfing, but the market to learn how to surf is typically, you know, places by the water. So if you're like in a landlocked state, <laughs> you're going to have to move to make that a viable business. But y- you get my point, right? You have to make sure that you also do the, the the research which sounds like if you're an execution person that should not be a problem. The hard challenge for you is to really soul search a little bit, think big, and I would say start by asking people that you know that you respect their opinion and say, "Hey, uh, you know, if I ran a business, what do you see me doing?" And not to say that you want to do what other people want you to do, but sometimes uh, getting feedback is a really critical part of this journey. And do that and I think you might uh, you might be pleasantly surprised by what you discover.
1: Uh, the next question today is from Kate. Kate says, hey, Farnoosh, this podcast is so great. Congrats on going from seven to five days a week. You deserve a break. I was wondering if there are any downside to having multiple savings accounts. I have an emergency fund that I would like to keep on growing, but I also want to dedicate some savings for things that I know I have to spend money on, such as Christmas and vacations, et cetera. Is there anything negative about having more than one savings account other than having the overhead of tracking each account?
0: What do you think? I'm gonna turn the tables over to you. You've been a nice MC, but it's time to pick your brain. What, what do you think? you think that's a good idea?
1: I think Kate's right. I think the biggest downside is just you know the bookkeeping of having multiple accounts. I wonder if you know she has enough savings that if you know you had one giant savings account, if you could get like a better interest rate or anything, but these days I'm not even sure that's possible.
0: It's it's a good one. I, I didn't think of that. And actually there are other benefits to having a large lump sum in one account. Like I just learned that I can qualify for no ATM fees because of my current balance in my checking account that I reached a certain threshold. So there is, there is some benefit other than just the, the, the I guess the, consolidation factor of having all your money in one place and being able to track it easily. There are maybe some incentives that the bank will give you for keeping all your money in one place. But truthfully, if you have a lot of savings goals and this is helping you achieve them, then stick with this. Visualization compartmentalization is a huge behavioral trick when it comes to managing your money appropriately and making healthy decisions. So if this is working for you, then go for it. Like Tim said, interest rates aren't even that exciting right now, where even if the bank was like, well, if you save, if you have X amount in our bank, we'll give you 0.03% instead of 0.01%. Like that at the end of the day is gonna be meaningless for you. So do what works for you. And if this is working for you, stick with it. All right, we have one last question from Elizabeth and I can tell because I'm reading, I'm skimming it. She's got grandparents, inheritance, It sounds like it's going to be a little bit of a sticky issue.
1: Indeed. And Elizabeth asks, hey, Farnoosh, my partner received a sizable inheritance from his grandparents years ago. This is before we met. Uh, We're currently 26 and 29 years old. His parents put this inheritance in a low yield bond and advised him to keep renewing it annually until he wanted to buy a house. However, home buying is not something we're interested in. And instead, we're interested in investing early retirement and living in other countries. We have been investing over 50% of our income. And I think his inheritance would be better off in a more productive investment vehicle, such as index funds. He agrees, but has yet to tell his parents. Uh, They are into real estate and have had relative control over How the inheritance is invested for the last several years. So I think he's afraid of what they'll say. Personally, I'm eager to move the money while my partner just keeps on delaying. Our finances are separate, so I can only push so much. Help me.
0: Yeah, Elizabeth. I mean, this is a very layered issue obviously, you know this. I think the fact that you've got parents involved and this is an inheritance, so it's emotional. Understand that this is very generational. If my parents were about to, are getting an inheritance, I think they would also look at, they've told me already that they want to <laughs> in, invest my mother's inheritance in real estate, which I'm like, no, don't. So this is something that is, I find is very generational. Our parents are, are very much locked into this idea that real estate equals wealth. And while they may that may still be true in some ways, if it's not for you, it's not for you. But look, your partner is an adult and you need to just trust that he will do what's right. I trust that he's not going to you know, take this money and throw it into a McMansion because it doesn't sound like that's what he wants. That's not what you, the two of you want. And I think that as long as you keep the lines of communication open with him and you talk about this Regularly enough where it doesn't become pestering, but it's a healthy conversation about this money. That's what's important. And that you just let this run its course. This isn't going to change overnight. It's not like you can walk into Thanksgiving dinner and be like, hey, mom and dad, guess what? You've been telling me how to manage this money. No longer. Peace out pass the turkey. That is not what is going to happen. It's not going to be an easy conversation, but I would say if if you want to play a part in this, this is your role. This is the healthiest way to go about this. Just have relaxed conversations with him from time to time. This is a very delicate thing. This is an inheritance we're talking about, which involves people who are no longer with us. And sometimes when that happens, the people who are inheriting this money and the parents probably feel a responsibility here. They want to make sure that they do the right thing with it. And just trust that the right thing will happen, but it's going to have to happen on your partner's time and his parents' time. Don't be too pushy, don't get upset. Just if you're keeping your finances separate, that's fine. I think that's healthy. Just make sure that you have your ducks in a row and that, you know, you're taking care of you and that this inheritance, you know, it's gravy. Imagine it wasn't there. If you really need peace of mind, just imagine this inheritance didn't exist. And so whatever happens with it is what happens with it. But the two of you can still plan together for your futures based on how much you're making and how much you're saving. But this inheritance is a bit of a gray area, but it just needs to kind of get worked out between your partner and his parents. And that's frankly, you know, the only two parties here that can have a say in this. It will work out. But if you have any further concerns, if things go a different direction, Write in and let me know how things are going. What do you think, Tim? I mean, this is really – money and family, we come from very different families and also when it comes to money, our families deal with money differently, talk about money differently. My family can't stop talking about money in real estate. Your parents are a little more reserved and conservative. You and I even have different temperaments when it comes to discussing money and handling money, but the most important thing is that you have those common goals, which it sounds like you and your partner do, and and hopefully – With those common goals, with that common ground, it is understood what needs to happen with your money. It's not to say that it doesn't take work or communication. It absolutely does. But the foundation is common goals, and it sounds like you have them. And it sounds like you're a lot like my millionaires from this week, Jeremy Jacobson and Winnie Zen, because they're in their 30s. They retired by saving like something crazy, like 60 or 70% of their take-home pay. They travel the world. They don't own real estate listen to that episode if you haven't yet because that might also offer some nice inspiration and that's a wrap guys that's a wrap for this sunday ask farnoosh thank you again to my lovely assistant slash partner in life <laughs> assistant for this podcast you know what i mean tim uh thank you so much for being a good
1: you're welcome this is a lot of fun
0: isn't my audience really smart
1: they are these are these are great questions uh situations i never i never thought of so
0: Exactly. I mean, even I had to really think about, you know, what would I do if I was in this situation? So thank you. I really appreciate these well thought out and articulate questions. Tomorrow, fasten your seatbelt. We have Nate Burkus on the show. Yes, Nate Burkus, that Nate Burkus. If you don't know who it is, Google him. He's a big deal. So uh, looking forward to unleashing that interview. In the meantime, hope you're having a fantastic end to your weekend. Hope your day is so money.